final VanCast of the month of October. It's been a busy one for the Vancouver Canucks and all the teams around the National Hockey League. But uh, with the news that Oscar Fantenberg is going to the K, Tom, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say. I mean, there'll still there could still be some movement, but it kind of feels like uh, with Rutan and Levo earlier in the week, now Fantenberg finding a home. The Canucks are, I think, done in this first go-round of free agency, and I'm not expecting a whole lot here, although uh, there is plenty of time before uh, the season gets up and running. We still don't know when that's going to be, but uh, it's just a chance for us to sort of step back here and look at the first month of free agency uh, on the part of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and, you know, I'm curious to see what other shoes drop around the league uh, we're running pretty quickly out of cap space. Like, if you look around the league, there's only like 180-ish million in in remaining cap space across all 31 teams, um, and only about 90-ish jobs on under 23-man rosters. So you assume about a million dollar a player, right? Like roughly league minimum for for those guys. That means there's 90 million in cap space left, like total in the entire system. Um, that's going to place a huge premium on teams that still need to shed. Salary, guys like the Tampa Bay Lightning, teams like the New York Islanders, maybe the Arizona Coyotes, although they have a little bit of wiggle with Marion Hosa likely to hit, um, you know, <laughs> LTI. So not likely to hit, for sure. Definitely going to hit right. LTI. And so, you know, that sort of speaks to the cost. Like the cost of shedding salary at this point is going to be prohibitive. Hard to see how the Canucks have the flexibility to do much more than you know, maybe bring in a depth defender, maybe take another Jace Howerluck-like flyer uh, on, a, on a remaining free agent. Uh, it's It does seem like, for the most part, barring a hockey deal, uh, the, their big shoes have dropped at this point in the offseason. You know, it's funny because we promoted it the other day, and I knew that people would turn out. I didn't know the numbers, though. Like, damn, did you guys draw a crowd for that Q&A uh, during the noon hour on Tuesday, I think the final number was 156 questions in an hour, uh, which just speaks to the interest level in the hockey club, the response of the VIPs, their questions per 60 is through the roof. Um, you and Harm were there. Like, I, I read the transcripts, but like, were you surprised at the, the questions that were generated? Yeah, the... the- the VIP's thoughtful questions per 60 are sky high. <laughs> True fancy stats all-stars. Like, call them prime Chris Tanev. Uh, the, the VIP's just killing it in, in all the subtle ways that matter. Look, this market is so fun. Um, you know, it's said by a, a variety of former GMs. Like, I've heard the joke from both Burke and, and Mike Gillis uh, that the city has 2 million GMs, right? And, you know, that's a lot of opinions, a lot of, a lot of knowledge in this market. Uh, and it shows like I, I have this memory the first time that I went to host uh, like the 1040 morning show. And, and I think I was filling in for Jason Bruff and I was very excited, like giddy, you know, about the opportunity. And uh, I'm I'm going all Sally Field on it, texting my whole family like, hey, I'm on the radio, like come tune in. And uh, and my dad, my dad, who's like a securities lawyer, right, uh, ends up tuning in on his way into the office and he texts me from it and he goes, hey, great job. But you know, everything you were talking about was like CBA minutia. Like, does anyone actually know what you're talking about? And, and my response was, yeah, like this market's awesome for that. Everyone understands in this market that the minutia matters, that the little things that there are, there is noise or there is signal in even the smallest things that 
the club does and there's interest in those things and there's a willingness to discuss it and debate it ad nauseum. And I do think that's challenging in a lot of ways for, you know, management, various players in this marketplace. But I also think it's a tremendous opportunity. Like there's a reason that if you win here, it will be unlike winning just about anywhere else outside of Toronto. And um, that passion is reflected in, in our pace of VIPs. It was reflected in those questions and it was just a lot of fun. Like it's just a lot of fun to serve the VIPs in that manner, especially when they're bringing the heat on a variety of prospect and, and salary cap space questions as they were yesterday uh, or on Tuesday. It's just so much fun. And I saw you drop a promise that we'll do a mailbag. We're overdue to do a mailbag at yeah. the Vancast here, so we'll sort of take it to the pod. But, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I I was reminded, too, of just the reaction in this marketplace. Is, it, it can be funny sometimes. Like, I thought it was a total throwaway tweet uh, during the dinner hour on Tuesday. I was just... I think it started with Fantenberg signing in the K, and from there I was checking the KHL stats and... You know, I, from a distance, I like to, especially with Pud Colson over there, but like just try to keep tabs on what's happening in hockey that's actually being played these days. So I was looking at the KHL scoring leaders, and I see that Nick Jensen, the former Canuck first rounder, has nine goals in a dozen games for Jokerit, the, the Finnish team that's in the KHL. And he's among the league's goal scoring leaders. And if he had played more, <laughs> like some of the other guys have 20 games played and have 15 goals. Like if he had played 20 games, Nick Jensen might be leading the K in goals. So that jumped off the page at me. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. There's a name, blast for the past, tweet it out. And then, of course, people want to relitigate the Gillis years of drafting. And, you know, I'm trying to stir up the shit. And I'm like, oh, I'm, oh Calgary's going to sign him because Calgary. Like, no, like, I, just, <laughs> I, was just throwing, <laughs> I was just throwing it out there. But then as I, I, went, a little, I went a little further and I was looking at Joker, I was like, okay, who else plays for the, oh, shit. Jordan Schrader. So the Canucks have two <laughs> first-rounders from a decade ago that are playing for Jokerit. So I was thinking it was around this time last year that you made your side trip to Utica. Obviously, Utica's not right. playing. There's no point to go there. Borders are closed. But you may have to make a side trip and go down memory lane and check in on Jokerit because they've got the two former Canuck first-rounders doing things there. Oh, man, sign me up for that. I'm, I'll be pitching that in our Slack channel this week. Uh, I mean, I love Helsinki, right? I went, uh, I guess, almost two years ago next month to Helsinki with the Florida Panthers and the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you know, me and Tyler Myers, basically, uh, to uh, to Helsinki for the Global Series. So I know that building really well. Um, at one point, actually, now that I now that I think about it, I, I helped uh, run a EA activation where they projected, like, EA NHL 18 onto the ice and Patrick Lyonet and Alexander Barkov played each other in like two on two EA on the big ice surface at Yokerit uh, from like a, a suite up at the top of the building. And there was like two Finnish rappers, like celebrity influencer rappers <laughs> who were on their teams. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to go hit up the saunas. Um, well, I don't know. Do you hit up a sauna during a pandemic? Maybe not. Um, <laughs> but either way, I'd love to. I'd love to go back to swim in the Baltic and head over to Estonia to buy the cheap beer and uh, have myself a time with some long drink in Helsinki. So no, I'm gonna pitch that for sure. Like, let's let's go. Nick Nick Jensen and Jordan Schrader. The juice is worth the squeeze. Um, six, the six, case... feet apart, six feet apart in the sauna at all times. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it, funny to you remind me, like, I remember covering Nick Jensen when he was in the OHL 
And he was on this absolutely loaded um, Oshawa Generals team. Like, I think back to that Oshawa Generals team and the thoughts that I had. Like, one thing I remember thinking about Nick Jensen as a prospect was he's going to need to learn to work harder to get open. Like, he's got the shot. He's got, you know, he skates through guys at this level. Um, but but he's going to need to add that. And I also remember thinking, you know, his line mate at the time, uh, Boone Jenner, right. you know, boy, boy, he can do it all. But I don't know if he's got NHL wheels. Like, <laughs> I don't know if he's – and it's just a good reminder now that I watch Boone Jenner, like, hunt down puck-moving defensemen on the forecheck, right? Um, just that some guys add that step. You know, between the ages. Like, I remember thinking the same thing about Bo Horvat. I was like, oh, I don't know about, like, he's so good. He controls the games at this level. It's amazing. But does he have the skating? And then two years later in the NHL, he's like most dangerous attacking off the rush, right? And it's just like, oh, my God, this guy's added two steps. Uh, Boone Jenner did the same. And the difference between a Nick Jensen or a Lucas Lessio, who was their other line mate. Um, and a Boone Jenner and a Bo Horvat sometimes is, you know, the, the skating mechanics that I'm just not detailed enough to understand, uh, but that makes amateur scouting so damn hard, right? Like, how do you, how do you identify the difference between Bo Horvat and Nick Jensen when they're 17? Like that's, that's the secret sauce. Uh, I don't envy the people whose job it is to get that right time after time. Um, really quickly though. <laughs> just uh, I'm, I'm excited to do a mailbag podcast it is overdue and i liked that the person who i promised we'd do it to suggested that we should do an audio version of the q a right um so i honestly think i'm, I'm honestly thinking i'm gonna set it up like the exact same format and we'll literally just do that q a in an audio version because uh that worked so well yesterday and uh <laughs> and i think it'd be a lot of fun I'm just envisioning you in a uh, in your speedo and a matching mask, basically the same amount of material in the sauna in Finland. Maybe I shouldn't be imagining that at all. No, you. I but... mean, <laughs> I uh, the mask I'll, in the sauna. Um... No, the mask in the sauna would be brutal. Like they, that, that, yeah. No, I don't. Well, sure the, the problem is the mask is the speedo in this. <laughs> I'm just I'm just reappropriating the um. You know, it's a very Borat kind of look. Yes, exactly. Um... Hey. <laughs> Harm's going to join us here in a sec, and we'll get into the Canucks in the offseason. But I, I was thinking last night, like, you were in the bubble, or at least in Edmonton, to watch the games in the bubble. So you have been a consumer of professional sports through the summer months. Like, I was watching that baseball game and the reaction to it, and... Look, we've seen the Stanley Cup presented. We've seen the NBA title presented. Now we've seen the World Series championship uh, presented, the the trophy as well, and all that went along with that, the various storylines. But, like, the reaction, the visceral reaction in social spaces just got me thinking, like, the last sporting event that I took in in person was a Los Angeles Dodgers game in Phoenix, in spring training, the night before the Canucks were supposed to play the Coyotes, and then, of course, COVID hit and the world changed, that's the last sporting event that Patrick Johnson and I went to a Cactus League game. So crazy. Um, saw the Dodgers way back then and watched them do their thing and just the reaction. And that's what I miss. Like, I, I love the yeah. offseason and the storylines that are presented, and there have been plenty of them and lots of reaction from the fans and lots for us to talk about. But 
I also love the game. To me, the game is still sort of the star of the show, and it produces storylines from night to night that we all follow, and and it drives the conversation. And so, who knows when we're going to see hockey again? But I was thinking, like that was my thought last night. Was damn, like I just I missed the fact that like games like this matter, and we had it for thirty four days, right? Seventeen Canuck games in thirty four yeah. nights in the bubble, and just fingers and toes crossed that they get this sorted out and figure out a way to uh, launch next season safely and putting health above all else for everybody. But I just, I missed the, and I missed the games and that was driven home watching that baseball game last night. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said it a couple of times and the thing I miss the most honestly is the going to a home arena, like a packed home arena, whether it's in Vancouver or elsewhere, though, obviously ideally in Vancouver, because then I can walk home along the seawall. Uh, but hearing the roar of the crowd celebrating a home goal, right. Or, or even, or even a, a, a close miss, right. Like that, like that, like, uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like from 20,000 strong, like it's so good. And, and, you know, maybe that's why I was primed to, become the official transcriber of the sounds of the game in the Western bubble, right? Like the, I have a love for the audio experience of being in a packed building. Um, and I miss it. And, and the other thing I was thinking about was, you know, I was about to do a 1040 hit this week and I was like, man, I guess we're going to relitigate the Levo departure again, you know? And I was just thinking like, man, I, boy, do I wish, you know, I, I had some, especially at this moment in late October, when you really, I'm like primed, I'm like conditioned, like a Pavlovian puppy to be debating line choices and lineup choices and, and team performance at this time of year. And, you know, I, I miss that too. Like I miss the moment after a game where we go down to the locker room, we work the room and we go sit down in the Norm Jewison media room right in front of the podium where Travis Green does his post-game avails, and there's these singles that are placed on all the folding chairs, and a single is an event summary and a game summary on either side, you know, with all these stats, and it's usually you, me, Batch, sit down, like IMAX often standing in the back. Farhan sometimes sits down, sometimes guys like Jay Janauer drop in, but really, like, the two of you for me is, like, the core group. We sit down, and we pull up the sheet, and we look it over, and invariably someone's like, oh, wow, like, 12 attempts for Quinn Hughes. Like, what? How did 12 attempts? Like, he was hard matched <laughs> against this guy. Like, and we just sort of go over what's remarkable about the event we just watched, right? And and prepare to cover it critically for the next two hours and, and to ask critical questions about it of the head coach. Like, that moment in particular is the moment that I'm missing the most, almost, when I think about, you know, what, not, not what's lost, but what, what experientially what, where I'd like to be at this point in the calendar year, it's like in a rhythm and in a grind where that's an everyday occurrence. Amen to that. Let's uh, hope that we get uh, a chance to get back into the rink here uh, before too long. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know him as the boy genius. He is uh, our colleague here at The Athletic, uh, covering the Vancouver Canucks, unlike anybody else here in the market. Uh, Harmon Dial joining us uh, on the VanCast. 
All right, Harm, just uh, before you joined us, Tom and I were talking about the reaction that you got yesterday to the Q&A. The fan base is out there. The VIP showed up in force. Any questions in particular that that jumped out at you? I I don't know. I think just on the whole, there were a a lot of really good ones. I think a lot of the prospect discourse is always interesting to track. I look at, um, for instance, like people look at Vasily Podkolzin in Russia um, and we see it in the numbers, like he isn't quite producing and, and people start to um, wonder if there are some yellow flags there. And um, I, I think from that perspective, you can understand the leverage too. I mean, the Canucks need guys like Pod Colson and Hoglander to really hit. And um, from my perspective, and I think Drance shares a, a pretty similar sentiment, is just when you look at players in developing in Russia, it's so hard to look at... Uh, scoring rates and and use that to judge uh, a player's development. Uh, I mean, uh, I look at someone like Nikita Kucherov, who basically wasn't producing in his draft plus one one season, uh, uh, draft plus two season in in Russia. Um, you look at, and and this is a, a former first round uh, Nashville pick, uh, is sort of a, a counter example. Eli Tolvanen, um, he was lighting the KHL on fire, and everyone thought, oh, he's the next great. Sniper, he's the next Tarasenko, and he kind of fizzled out. So it just kind of goes to show you that um, obviously you want to see the production come to fruition at some point, but I think in Pod Colson's case specifically, um, he hasn't been getting a ton of minutes, um, and it's just a tough environment for him to produce. And um, I- I'm still bullish on him. I still think he has top six upside. Um, I think Pod Colson's not one of those players where you expect him to have 60, 70, 80 point seasons. I've always kind of projected him as if things work out as a complimentary top six piece who can maybe put up 50 points with elite two way upside. So I think um, that is going to be the key there. And I know a lot of fans are, are sort of sitting back and, and, and wondering, but um, I think now's not the time to kind of be, be too worried about what's going on in Russia with Pod Colson. I laughed, guys. Uh, I, I saw that there were a number of questions. The same question, essentially. Like, the VIPs, they wanted to pin both of you guys down. They wanted answers, damn it, about uh, the next contracts for both Pedersen and Hughes. Like, they wanted down, down to the dollar amount. So, I don't know if this is a reflection of, you know, coming off this free agency period where contracts uh, were an issue for the hockey club. People are uh, perhaps a little concerned, whatever the case, uh, already looking, you know, maybe 12 months out. But people wanted answers. Yeah, and, and I think when you sit back and um, it, it sort of just examine the situations we're in, obviously the flat cap has sort of changed so much in the market. Um, when it comes to Pedersen, I think that contract is maybe a little bit easier to try and uh, pin down a range for because um, obviously last summer, and, and maybe they're not perfect comparables, but Austin Matthews signed for um, just a little over 11 and a half, 11 and a half on, on a five-year term. Um, they're just more comps for him, I think, realistically. Um, even someone like, uh, I, I mean, Braden Point is a little bit of an outlier. I, I wouldn't expect Pedersen to be sort of anywhere near that range. Um, but, but for me, I, I, I would think that um, if you're going to sign him for uh, sort of in that three to five year range, I wouldn't be surprised if Pedersen dipped into double, double digits um, on the AAV front. Um, it really wouldn't surprise me. Now, again, maybe the flat cap has changed that. Um, but again, I look at Matthews, I look at uh, Eichel, and again, the term is different. But if you're talking about, say, a five-year deal, 
Um, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was double digits. Hughes, on the other hand, I could see that being a little bit more conservative just because we haven't seen defensemen of this caliber kind of set the set the market yet because Haskinen and Makar, of course, are going to be RFAs uh, next summer as well. So they're going to, in part, kind of reset that market. Um, and so it kind of depends on a long-term deal. Maybe Thomas Shabbat kind of sets... Uh, some sort of bar. Uh, he signed for close close to 8x8, if I uh, remember that correctly. But then we also have the bridge route. And guys like McAvoy and uh, Wierenski signed for close to five, close to essentially $5 million on three-year bridge deals, which would be absolute steal. So um, I think with Hughes, there's just there's just such a wider range for where he, he could slot. If he goes on a three-year bridge, he might not come... Um, super expensive, but if you try and lock him up long term, then I think Haskin and, and Makar and Parter are going to be um, setting a precedent as well. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because with Pedersen, I think you're right. We have comps for the longer term deals, but we don't really know what a bridge deal looks like for a player of that caliber. And then in Hughes's case, we know pretty narrowly what a bridge deal looks like for that caliber of defenseman. We have no idea. What, a, what it takes to lock up the likes of Makar, Heskinen, Hughes, maybe even Rasmus Dahlin long term. Um, do you think that a bridge deal is more likely in, a, in a, for both players in a flat cap era than it might have been before the pandemic? 100%. I think at least for Pedersen, because uh, again, when you examine what uh, a long term deal would, uh, would look like, again, I think if it was long term, it would be double dig digits in the AAV front. And um, just when you look at Vancouver's cap situation um, for next season, they don't have a, a, a ton of wiggle room. Yes, a lot of uh, bad contracts come off the books, but you also have to pay Demko if he um, if he puts in a, a strong season. Um, two years from now, you also have Besser. I mean, a lot of these contracts are coming up quickly, and, and just a flat cap has created this dynamic where I, I don't think the, the Canucks, it, it, they may technically be able to sign Pedersen to a long-term deal and, and Hughes to a long-term deal, but then you have to ask yourself, how much does it handicap the rest of the roster? I mean, I I, I don't quite re I don't remember the, the exact number off the top of my head, but I think I was looking at somewhere, um, assuming Furling goes on LTR, something like $28 million of, of cap space for next year, but with only 13 players signed. So if Hughes and Pedersen eat up something between, say, 16 to 20 million of that, then all of a sudden it becomes very hard to build the rest of your roster. So just because of that, I think you are more likely to see bridge deals than you were pre-pandemic. And I think of the two, uh, Pedersen is probably more likely to go the bridge route. I want to bring it back to Pod Colson because obviously we're seeing that the KHL is not a development league, right? Like the KHL is a is an impossible league to use to build statistical comps for players typically speaking right like when we go through our comparable exercise the k is always the one that gives me the most headaches um but with what's happened to his season just in terms of the limited usage at the khl level the possibility that we'll see him play uh you know a bunch in the v um does that raise not i don't i don't want to say the pressure but the interest with which you will regard his performance against his own age group at the U20 World Junior Championship Tournament this December? That's a really good question. I think when it comes to the World Junior Championships, it, it, it's such a big stage, but 
from my perspective anyway, it's not a break make or break tournament. Like I know people are going to look at Pod Colson's performance there under a microscope because he's likely to be captain. Um, this is an opportunity for him to play against people uh, his own age. But at the end of the day, it's it's a five. To, it's like a seven game tournament, right? Like you you never want to read too uh, much into it. That's how you end up into um, making mistakes like drafting Oli Levy too high, right? And and there are just so many examples. I mean, um, I remember uh, the. The, maybe it was the 2017 World Junior Championship where Casey Middlestat lit it up uh, for, Amer- uh, for for the Americans and Elias Pedersen had a decent but not spectacular performance and um, I know there were people that were all of a sudden back on the Middlestat hype train so I, I think you've just always got to take that tournament with a grain of salt now for me I'm looking at the VHL uh, performance and what he does there um, with uh, with a little bit more interest because that's an opportunity for him. That's a second-tier pro league. He's going to get more minutes there. Uh, he played there the other night, his first contest, put up a primary assist, uh, and he played, I think, 16 and a half minutes. So I think that's where he's going to get a regular middle six role, and that's where you need to see a little bit of the offense start to shine, start to emerge, uh, because the last thing you want in a player's development is for them to be in a stunted offensive environment. So, um, look, if the decision was... If the choice was between playing limited minutes in the KHL um, and playing a more established role in the VHL, then I'd go with the VHL every time. So rather than fixating too much on the World Junior Championships, um, I'm more interested in the total body of work we see over the remainder of the season. Hey, Harm, a couple of days left in the month of October, but for this is our final podcast for this month, this month of free agency, really the first full month of the off-season uh, Drant and I had a pretty good run the other day, uh, looking back at what the Canucks had done in totality. Obviously, the Vertanen deal, Josh Levo, uh, Fantenberg. I mean, those are sort of the last dominoes to fall. There could still be moves ahead here in the offseason, but if we take it with the guys that played for the Vancouver Canucks last season, you know, they all have found new homes, most of them in Calgary, it seems. But uh, when you look at, at the month for Jim Benning and his front office group, what did you like about October and what concerned you about the way the Canucks did business here in, in this offseason? Yeah, I mean, for starters, I like the fact that they didn't chase um, Mark Trementanov. I like the fact that they kind of drew a line in the sand as, as far as what we're, what we're comfortable paying and what we're comfortable not paying. And so them departing, yes, it's going to be a hit in the short term, 100%. But I, I think if, if the Canucks had signed those same contracts that those players got in Calgary... Um, there would have rightfully been criticism over the long-term implications of signing players in their 30s. So um, beyond that, uh, I like the Nate Schmidt trade considering the tough circumstances. Like players, top four defensemen who can play the right side are so, so difficult to acquire. I mean, just look at how long Toronto has been searching. And I mean, obviously completely different market dynamics here. This opportunity wouldn't have emerged if it wasn't for this flat cap environment. But um, to acquire a player of Schmidt's caliber for just a third-round pick, I mean, that 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 sort of uh, fills in a critical, critical uh, chasm that the Canucks needed to fill uh, in the top four. Uh, beyond that, though, I, I think, again, when you step back and, and look at this team um, as a whole and you break it down position by position, what I don't like is the fact that the team didn't significantly improve. And you can debate whether it was a sideways move or whether it was a slight step back. But no one can tell me that when you compare the 2021 Vancouver Canucks to the one that left the bubble, 
this new edition of the Canucks right now on paper is not stronger than the one, at least significantly, than the one that left. And to me, when you look at the type of playoff playoff run that this team is coming off of, um, and again, we've talked so much, Drance has, about the leverage of this being the final year of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes' ELCs. Um, it's it, it's just disappointing that we that we're sort of going to have to delay the the window of this team's emergence as a true Stanley Cup contender, right? Like not to the point where can this team make the playoffs? Can they win a round or two? Maybe, yeah, I, I could totally see it. But in Vancouver, we need a true contender, right? Like when this team makes the playoffs, there needs to be real expectations on what this group is capable of. You have this elite nucleus, and I think. When you see people still critical of this team, it's because these bottom six contracts now, like the the flat cap again, has just enhanced the the leverage of them. Um, And I mean, you look at this unprecedented buyer's market and just the opportunity cost is through the roof. So, I mean, people will say like, why are you harping on these past mistakes? And um, and to an extent, I I understand it because Jim Benning's situation there wasn't a whole lot else they could have done to maneuver out. I mean, moving money would have been very difficult, but it's more or less, I, I think, you're just seeing the previous mistakes kind of catch up to this management group. And um, I think it's going to be, they're, they're going to have to tow a, a very tight rope here. Um, and especially like people think once these bottom six contracts come off the books that it's going to be smooth sailing. But you've got to remember, two years from now, Brock Besser is up for a new deal with a pretty high qualifying o- offer. In three years, and this is the one I never see people talking about, JT Miller and Bo Horvat, if I'm not mistaken, are both UFAs. And let's say that even if both of them stay, you're not getting them at these sweetheart five and change contracts anymore. And so it's like the further out you go, yes, some of these bottom six contracts come off the books, but you also lose the competitive advantage of having your top players at such a steep discount. And I think that's the bigger picture disappointment that I think a lot of fans have, even if a lot of their October decisions were sensible. When you, Harmon, consider that, what you've just laid out so clearly, the task of upgrading the club's depth at the same time that they have to become an awful lot more efficient in their bottom six. How, how do you go about doing it? What what are the key concepts or principles that the Canucks have to be guided by in, in pulling that trick off in your view? Well, they have to find distressed assets. They have to um, they have to look for market inefficiencies. I mean, I think the Josh Levo acquisition and what he did for the Canucks in the last year and a half, like they acquired him for essentially an NHL prospect who didn't really amount to anything and he provided sound middle six value for them. Like that's how they're going to have to fill out the rest of their roster. And if they, I think Levo's a poster boy of that type of um, of that type of acquisition where he where he filled a key role for you in the middle six. He played matchup minutes alongside Bo Horvat. Um, over the last uh, over the last uh, year and a bit that he was in Vancouver, he scored five on five points um, at a credible middle six pace. Like even last season, he his five on five points rate was the highest of any forward, excluding the lotto line trio. Um, and we know about his defensive value and, and how much the coaching staff trusted him. So I think it's those types of acquisitions where. Um, you can, you're, you're going to have to, and, and those aren't easy to come by, right? You're going to have to um, get your pro scouting staff to um, find other scenarios where you have players that don't have opportunities um, and can maybe flourish in, in more prominent roles. I look to Andre Burakovsky as another example. This is, that was a player that 
Um, he only scored 24, 25 points in Washington, um, and the Capitals were kind of selling low on him, and, and he gets traded to Colorado, and all, all of a sudden he explodes. And I think you're not going to be able to acquire a lot of players now um, that look attractive on, on face value because the Canucks, let's be honest, they don't have a whole lot of cap flexibility. They don't have a whole lot of even trade assets. Um, so you can't really replicate, for example, the Nate Schmidt trade because where are you going to find that cap space to weaponize? Um, and, and, we, and we talk about the Miller example, you can't trade your first round pick every time. So again, I think it's going to have to be, and, and again, these things aren't easy. These things aren't easy to find undrafted free agents like Pittsburgh did with John Marino. Um, it, it's just you're going to have to surprise and, and find value in, in areas where, there, where other teams don't. Plus, you're going to have to need all your prospects to hit. Uh, and, and, and by that, I mean all your key ones. Um, the leverage of Pod Coles and Hogland or Rath, and, and one of Rathbone or your levy hitting is massive. And I think you're looking at a situation where... Um, you're not you're just not going to have a whole lot of flexibility and i think it is all about mining value where others don't see value great way to wrap up the month of october harm uh, long overdue to get you on the podcast here and i know you guys had the good run on the q a so uh we'll continue to do this as the off season moves along here hopefully get a little clarity at some point soon about when we're going to be able to start seeing games and get an idea of training camp and all that kind of stuff but in the meantime uh, we'll continue to monitor what you're up to uh with all the work that you're putting in at the athletic so we appreciate you stopping by uh joining us here on the vancast Thank you, gentlemen. All right, Drancer, always good to get harm on the program. Makes us uh, smarter, and I think makes the uh, makes the listeners a little bit smarter too. Yeah. Just uh, sees the game uh, so differently than uh, so many, and we always make fun of the fact that uh, the boy genius he's growing up in front of our eyes, but continuing to bring the heat here at the Athletic. He's amazing. Like he's he's twenty years old, and his grasp of everything from in-game analytics uh, to actually in-game tactics. You know, one thing people don't realize, like I sit next to Harm at every Canucks home game and where I'll notice like a, a guy being absent from the bench or a, a line change, Harmon will notice gaps in coverage, right? He'll be like, oh, that that forward didn't rotate back quickly enough to cover the defender. Like he notices gaps in coverage. I think it's from his experience as a holding midfielder growing up, but like he has this natural and in real time, like X's and O's understanding of the game that I've never seen before. Um, the fact that he's able to do all of that at the age of 20 blows me away. Like, it honestly blows me away. I'm extremely jealous of him, and I will have to find ways to sabotage him so that he doesn't take my job. Um, but what a tremendous, what a tremendous person. Yeah, and, and good to bring sort of uh, a different perspective to the Vancast here because we had a guy come at both of us the other day claiming that we were remarkably negative <laughs> on the, the first podcast of this week. And like it made me sit up and take notice for a sec because like I thought we were realistic. I, I didn't think we drilled down particularly hard on the front office. I didn't think that we covered you know new ground that sort of hadn't been out there in the market just in terms of the way we viewed what had transpired here in free agency. But uh, oh, there was one guy at least that uh, he thought we were a little too negative. Yeah, I, you know, my reaction to that anyway was like, well, maybe J-Pat was, but me? <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't. <laughs> Own some of it. <laughs> no, no, of course. Uh, I mean, look, you know, it's a tough thing to do. And I, and I tried to 
thread the needle, right? Because it hasn't been wholly negative, right? There, there have been things that I've liked in this offseason, and, and I think I see things pretty similarly to harm, and I think I broke it down pretty similarly to harm on the last episode in terms of the goal, in terms of the top four, like in terms of there being some good work done. Um, in, in terms of the team's drafting success over the last five, six years, which, by the way, not characteristic of this organization, right? Like, there are genuine bright spots. It's just that the whole picture still matters. And I think in this market especially, fans are primed to understand that, which is why, you know, some people focus on the perfect sear on the meat and some people focus on the burnt potatoes. And they're <laughs> both true. Like, it's all true. And ultimately, I do think to get, to this team to where they need to be like it needs to be a fully balanced meal man you like in a restaurant in the best restaurant in the world in an elite stanley cup contending restaurant to really strain this analogy um you know you can't serve burnt potatoes so uh, that's just sort of how i see it and, and I, yeah i agree with you i thought it was fair and down the middle and and pointed out what we liked and pointed out what we didn't but i, I just i can't escape the fact that i do think this team's taken a bit of a step back and um that's, I think, a disappointing outcome considering that this is the last year of Hughes and Patterson's ELCs. Right. but And we'll finish this way because I, I do think it's important just to keep driving home this point that Hughes and Patterson still play for the Canucks. Like the, the core group that did these great things in the playoffs is still here. For me, the frustration is that they didn't build and support that group. But whenever the Canucks get back on the ice, that group is still going to be there doing amazing things and it'll be fun to see, you know, where they can take the Canucks because we saw what that young group was able to do in its first look at playoff hockey. And we know the process that, you know, we know that Hughes and Pedersen both process the game. So for them to have that experience in their back pocket now, it's going to make them better players and can't wait to see those guys get back on the ice whenever that takes place. Hey, the recently retired voice of hockey in the U.S., Mike Emmerich, Doc uh, he's Craig Custom's guest this week on the Full 60 at The Athletic, so if you're looking for other hockey pod options, you might want to check that one out. And we always say, check out our comment section for each podcast episode of The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. We love the feedback, love to hear from you. And don't forget, if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. It's your last week to take advantage of this offer. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 Canadian a month. Our thanks to Harm Dial for stopping by. We'll make sure that we get him uh, back on the VanCast here throughout the offseason as we go. But transfer, that's going to do it for a fairly eventful month of October. But we'll continue to push out these pods here in November into December uh, until we know uh, and get a little clarity of when they're going to be back on the ice hopefully soon <laughs> hopefully hopefully we're doing training camp in in december man i i don't uh, i'll be i'll be upset if we're not in camp uh or tra- covering camp from the upper bowl um you know until the new year i i'm hoping we're, we're back by december but we'll see it's going to be an awfully heavy lift as you know what happened with justin turner in the world series yesterday sort of emphasized um, these things have to be carefully done. We know that the NHL can do it all carefully. They've earned some of the benefit of the doubt with how well they executed the bubble, especially relative to some of what we're seeing in the MLB and in the NFL. Um, hopefully, it goes off without a hitch again. It's going to be a. There's going to be an awful lot that they, have, that they have to figure out to make sure that hockey can be played again during the pandemic and be played safely. 
Well said. All right. Until we do this again, uh, may you both the meat and the potatoes be cooked to perfection. For Grantsir, <laughs> it's J-Pat. Uh, thanks, as always, for checking out the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs> <laughs>